Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Helen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I think I have found all of the places that the apple butter was and scrubbed them off. Oh. One can can get rather covered with apple butter. 
Oh, my goodness. You had a fun time, it sounds like. How much did you make? Um, I'm guessing that it's um, between 20 and 24 pints. Oh, wow. Yummy. It's a lot of apple butter. I had to do two batches. We do it in the oven, right? So I cut the apples into ace. And we pour some of the fresh apple cider. It's really just apple juice at that point in with the apples and cook them. And we usually cook them for eight to ten hours. And then we let that cool and we put it through our Foley food mill. And for two or three gallons of applesauce, you wind up in the Foley food mill with between half a cup and three quarters of a cup of pits and peels. Oh, wow. Really, virtually nothing. So you've gotten all of the anthocyanins from the skin. You've gotten the polyphenols from the skins. But you don't have to have the skins in your applesauce. Oh, fabulous. Wow. How rich. I love it. So good. And then um, we put that into the oven cook it for another 12 hours at about 200, 250 degrees. Mm. That's then apple butter. Wow. Lots of apples, really concentrated food. Mm. Wow. Talk about cook your food. That's a lot of cook time. How marvelous. That's a lot of cook time. Yeah, in macrobiotic theory, the heat that you use to cook the food, even if you don't eat the food hot, is still in the food. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's fabulous. Wow. How nourishing. You have 24 pints. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> apples, 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 apples. We pressed apple cider. We, I had already cut up so many apples, and we had already mm-hmm. cooked them so so that we could, um, you know, with the wonderful help of the people who were here for the work weekend, and we thank all of you who were here this weekend and who have been here this year helping us out with uh, fun things that we find to do at Laughing Rock Farm. Oh, it is such a treasure being there. Yeah. I would love to it myself next year. It's on, it's on the to-do list. On your to-do list. Okay. So what, what yeah. have you been up to this Oh, we've had a lovely week. Um, I had some family come in for the holiday, so... I have an aunt yeah. and a cousin here, our two children. So we've been having a fun time catching up and been learning about ancestry, which is fun because I've been doing that on my own before their arrival. And then when they got here, they started sharing that one of them had done a DNA through ancestry. So what 
uh, find, I discovered that my 10th great grandmother was, um, you know, wrongly accused and convicted for being a witch and hung in Salem as one of the 19 women. Oh, my hung. gosh. Yes. Holy yes. smoke. Yeah. Wow. So it was amazing. I've learned so much about her. I've ordered some books and, um, yeah, she was in her seventies. She was 71 and she was a very strong woman, apparently. What what was her name? Susanna Martin. Susanna North Martin. Susanna Martin. Okay, Susanna. Yes. Blessed be. Blessed be. Mm -hmm. Yes. So she endured quite a bit from what I understand. She never backed down. She always stood her ground and spoke the truth. And um, apparently her name was, you know, she was officially removed from being any conviction or anything like that. And John F. Kennedy even had something to do with that. But now there's a a stone memorializing where her house used to be. And there I saw the spinning loom that she spun on in one of the cradles for her eight children. So, yeah. I'm so I know. I want to go to the museum and touch it. Will you let me touch it? (laughs) 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 Oh, that is so exciting. So exciting. Because usually, you know, thinking about your ancestors, it's just kind of, you know, you're like, you know, thinking about it. But this is like real. So real. And there's so much information because of all of that happened. And it's just so, it's such, oh, I'm so blessed to have this doorway now to, to look through and understand um, what really colonial and settler life was like. It was not the same all throughout the colonies. And depending on what religion and nationality were when you came over, you might have had a very different experience. And she was in the Puritan colony, and it was very harsh and strict, and women had no rights. And if you spoke up and if you were respected in your community, you were a threat. And she was. (laughs) So by the time she was widowed, her husband defended her as long as he could. Once he passed, it didn't take long. And um, she was jailed for a couple months before. And the things they did to those women were horrible, physical inspections and things. So I feel even stronger now to to carry on and not be silenced about any of this. (laughs) Good for you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That you that that you n- now have a sense of carrying on something. Mm, indeed, yes, yes. And her character and the way that which it was spoken of, and reading about the allegations and the, just the socio demographic things that went into that and the trials and tribulations of the accusers and seeing how easily it, um, but they needed a way to explain things that were just tragic and terrible. So yeah, it was, it's a fascinating. I'm very much looking forward to diving into some of these history books and really getting into it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I get to, I get to talk to an old friend this evening. I was counting on my fingers how long ago I met Dr. Susan Brown. It's when I wrote the first edition of the menopause book. Not new menopausal years, but the first edition of the menopause book. The one that had, I don't know if you remember, 
a woman wearing a skirt with flowers on it, a white-haired woman wearing a skirt of flowers, standing on the other side of a small bridge, and four women of various nationalities looking across at her. Mm. Did you ever see that cover? No. Think about about childbearing year and healing-wise and how similar the covers are. And my original idea was that there would be a series cover. All the books in the Wise Woman Herbal series would have that kind of cover. And so that's what we did with menopausal years. And women absolutely flipped out. They hated it. Mm. And they said, what is a woman with gray hair doing on the cover? Mm. Seem to me to be important enough to struggle against their prejudices. So I changed the cover. Mm, Wow. I know that cover. (laughs) Yeah. That's the cover that we all know and that has a new on it for new menopause years. So that's when I met Susan Brown, who's going to be with us tonight, Dr. Susan Brown. She really helped me get straight on what makes healthy bones and why it's not calcium. And she's going to be here tonight to talk to us about the acid alkaline diet and her book, The Acid Alkaline Food Guide, which is translated into seven languages. And um, she's going to bust some myths, including one that I've heard a lot, which is you can't change your blood pH. So I'm very interested to find out if I can indeed change my blood pH and how I can do that. Stay with us until 9 o'clock or come back and hear what Dr. Susan Brown has to say. Meanwhile, are there any people with questions? Yes, we have got a lot of people listening in on the phone lines, and I'll remind you all, if you have a question this evening for Susan, please remember to press 1 on your keypad and get yourself lined up in the queue. Uh, We have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 listeners that have raised their hands with questions this evening, so you want to get right to it? I guess we should get started, yes. All right. Our first caller is joining us from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Wow. Good evening, Susan. Good evening. I had some questions about nutrition. I love hearing that the guest tonight is going to dive in. Uh, I'm an MD in New Orleans, and I recently discovered your work. I want to say thank you so much because we did not get this kind of education on herbal medicine and med school. And so I've gone through your archives and my biggest question is about how do you recommend meals get set up? For example, I know how you feel about raw foods, but it sounds like from what I gathered, cooked things first, followed by a salad, more so for the fiber push things through 
And then the second question was about, do you take male apprentices? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you know, um, I don't know if you know of the work of Christopher Hobbs, but I was in a class of his, and he was telling us about he how he had been invited to give a talk about herbs for the heart to this big American Medical Association gathering. And he was really kind of nervous about it, and he said, you know, I better just really make sure that I got, like, you know, all my T's crossed and my I's dotted. And he said, and after I spent, you know, as much time as I possibly could really sitting up on this, he said, I can tell you all in one word what you need for heart health, and it's fiber. So you're absolutely right. The the raw things can bring some fiber in. What I know is that you can have a really good diet without having any raw food. Mm-hmm. But you can't have a really good diet if you just have raw food. And that even in the tropics, people cook fruit or freeze it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they understand that they have to break the cell wall in order to right. get what's inside there. I hired somebody to look into any studies that had been done about enzymes and enzymes in foods and how active they were in the body. And what she told me made sense to me, which is, as we know, we're bags of enzymes. Everything that happens is enzyme-mediated. I can eat the best food in the world that can be loaded with vitamins and minerals, but if I don't have the enzymes to get those into my cells, it's useless. So our bodies are very protective of our enzymes and don't want any other enzymes in. Mm. And that's pretty much the point of the stomach being a vat of hydrochloric acid, right? So it kills the enzymes. There are a couple of enzymes in fruits that are actually active in hydrochloric acid, and they digest protein, which is what the hydrochloric acid is doing. Papain from papaya, bromelain from pineapple, and a very long word that I refuse to memorize from kiwi fruit. <laughs> okay. Yes. Right? So, Yeah. Those three enzymes are active in the human body. Other than that, um, she could not find any evidence that enzymes from raw plant matter. Where I think people got this whole idea was that there are some pretty good studies showing the difference between raw and cooked when it comes to protein sources, meat, milk, eggs, fish, insects, which contain within the actual food stuff enzymes which help digest it. And So once again, when we look culturally, most cultures 
who have access to these foods eat them raw. Right, and my mother was a great fan of steak tartare. I saw her eat steak tartare all over the world, and usually with a raw egg on it. Mm-hmm. And if we go back, you know, not not even that far, not even a hundred years, we find a, a lot more raw protein things on restaurant menus. It's really fallen away because we've had some scares about things. Right. So, I find that many people when offered both raw food and cooked food will have a natural preference for the cooked food. Children especially. Mm. Yeah, I've seen this. And parents are always always looking at me with astonishment that their children are coming back for seconds and thirds on vegetables like kale that they can't get them to eat at all. Mm. Just by cooking it. Just by cooking it. And so that says a lot to me because I think that children are less likely to eat by what they think they ought to do. have a variety of different apprenticeships, and the live-out apprenticeship has always accepted men. The live-in apprenticeships, in general, haven't, mostly due to logistical reasons. There was a young man named Parker who asked if he could come and apprentice, and I said, logistical reasons, and he said, but really, I'm a woman. And I said, I tell you what, Parker, I'll accept you for a two-week apprenticeship, and if the ladies who are there are willing to accept you in their residence, I'll go along with it, and if not, then you should be prepared to camp out. And he did, and they were. And I also asked him if he was going to ask me to see him as a woman to lose the beard. Not that I don't have girlfriends who have beards, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Along with the other cues, I I needed that one gone. And there there were even fleeting moments when I could see him like that, but mostly what he discovered was that he's not really a girl. He just doesn't want to have to be the kind of boy that he thinks that um, everybody's telling him he has to be. And he discovered he didn't have to be. 
Yeah. And he found a group of of uh, men, I think, in Tennessee. That's the same way. So I think that was really successful. Now, COVID, of course, has changed the way we do everything. And what it has meant for me is that only one apprentice at a time comes. So there are no more logistical problems since you would be the only apprentice here if you came. That's amazing in a great way. Thank you. Yeah. And as I said, I don't know where you live, but I have always included men in the live-out apprenticeships because there's no logistical problem. <laughs> yes, <ma'am. laughs> Because they, they live where they live. They don't have to live here. That's great news. Thank you so yeah. much, Susan, for all you you're welcome. Thanks for your question, and I'm so glad to see how well you are treating yourself. Thank you. Because what I see in a lot of medical professionals I know is the training system basically teaches you to treat yourself very poorly. Absolutely right. To eat poorly, to overextend yourself on caffeine, to sleep poorly. And, Mm -hmm. hey, there's a certain amount of that. You know, when I whined to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that she wasn't letting us sleep enough, she said, if you're going to be in this profession, sleep is not going to be a word in your vocabulary. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> she said to me, she said, what you need to do is learn to rest. That's right. <laughs> and she was I so know. right. Sent me on yes. a lifelong quest to find every moment of rest possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So thanks for your call tonight, and thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. I'll call soon. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we have six listeners who have pressed one to queue up with questions. Looks like our next caller is coming in from the 845 area code from the 845. You are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I want to thank you for everything you've done for me over the years, um, especially of lately, this past year. And um, I'm really thrilled to to hear what your um, what your guest has to say tonight about the bone health. Uh, because I called in last week uh, with quite a fright about the health of my my bones, and um, it's it's so very interesting that you touched the subject of the pH because the last uh, maybe the only uh, blood pH test I remember ever getting 
I was extremely alkaline, and I thought, this can't be good. I know they say to be alkaline, but it was like, you know, like down like three or something. And I know, you know, salt salt water is like seven. I believe our bodies are probably healthy to be like more like the ocean. That was always my belief in my mind. And uh, I tried to have such a good alkaline diet. I guess I may have overdone it a little, but I think it says something also about my blood and my blood health. And I'm glad you said you can change it. I truly believe I can change the health of my bones, too, um, the malabsorption. You can, absolutely. I agree with you. Thank you. The malabsorption uh, is probably the main issue stemming from the gut, and that's why I have to thank you so so much because you've given me the best advice um, how to live better and eat better and um, it's it's it, it's it's just been so encouraging all your stories that I feel like I can face my challenges now and um, I just can't wait to hear what uh, is it Dr. Bonnie? Dr. Susan Brown. Dr. Susan Brown, thank you. I, I I cannot wait to hear what she has to say. It's 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 almost like you're a magical fairy godmother to do this at this time right now. I feel so blessed to have you in this world, Susan. I I do want to uh, do an apprentice someday. I just keep having one health thing after another, after another, after another. I mean, I would just come down and just help you for just just to say thank you. <laughs> and I do hope I get better enough so that I can do that. All right. So, That's a great goal. So I like I'm grateful goal. to you. I'm grateful. And to all the thank people you. that call in. They're so very helpful, too. Thank you. Good blessings. <laughs> to, be, to be continued, then. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Happy holidays. Good, good night. Good night. All right. And it looks like we've got five listeners that have pressed one and are waiting with their questions from the 908. You are live with Susan from the 908. Yes. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. You know, it's interesting. The first person was asking if you had any male apprentices, and I was one of your apprentices. This is Mark from many years ago. Hi, Um, Mark. Hi. And I'm the college professor who I use your book, Healing Wise, as a sort of uh, master textbook in my, my research class, and I've been using it for about 15 years and the papers that the students generate based on that reading have just been so fabulous over the years. And I, and I don't know if you remember, we once brought a group of students from my college, Brookdale, up to your farm. And uh, we only did it once, so maybe someday we could do it again. But um, you're, you're, I, the, I certainly the, remember. It was quite the event. Very oh, exciting really, for all of us. Yeah, it really was. And, and for the first 
person who called. I, it's the best thing, one of the best things I ever did in my life was doing an apprenticeship with you. And it's helped me so much in so many ways, um, and especially to be a better caretaker. I'm a caretaker for my 96-year-old mother um, who's doing really well because I do all of your recommendations with infusions and herbs and so many things. And she's, you know, uh, she's really a vibrant 96, you know. Her her mind is so sharp, and I know that um, – uh, well, I don't want to go on and on, but someday I think I'd like to write a, maybe a book about uh, being a caretaker for an elderly person and with, by using herbs and nutrition and things like that because it's really, uh, it's really amazing uh, how much difference it makes over time, you know, things like the nourishing herbal infusions and uh, different tinctures. So it's really, really been if that gentleman or that person is having any questions, it's one of the best things I ever did. And um, so I can't give more of an, of, a, of an endorsement than that. Uh, well, that's really extraordinary. I thank you. I, I bow to you, in fact. Thank you. So I have my own situation. Um, in a week, I am getting a hernia repaired. And I remember very distinctly in one of your classes, you once said if you were ever to need a hernia repair, there was only one place you would go, which was the Schuldice Hospital, I believe, in, in Toronto. Um, Correct. But for, for me, that's not going to work out. And um, so I am actually going to be uh, having uh, mesh done. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I've sort of... Um, oh, I beg you not to have the mesh. Oh, Wow. I really beg you not to have the mesh. Hmm. There's only one guy around me, one person who does shield ice, and he's over in Long Island. Yeah. And he, he's pretty backed there's a up. Black you know? bo- there's a black box warning from the FDA on the mesh. Mm-hmm. I know. I re- I did a lot of research on my own, and I, I have to say, you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't thrilled. You know, uh, the problem is, a couple of weeks ago, I had the hernia became, um, you know, impacted almost. It wouldn't reduce, and I had to go to the emergency room. And um, I was taking a lot of motherwort that day, by the way, and I think the motherwort really helped me because they did a CAT scan and they determined there was no dead tissue, even though the intestines had been, you know, stuck and nothing died, which was really good. And I really think it was the motherwort. I was taking a lot of motherwort all day. Um, Wow. So um, that was really something. But it's become, you know, very difficult now. Uh, I, I really, I really do hear you, and it can really interfere. On the other hand, what I've heard about the mesh is so horrible. I, I, I questioned my, you know, my potential surgeon. He said uh, that was the older mesh, supposedly, and supposedly the newer mesh is better and he's it's like the bpa free plastic which has bpb in it right right exactly yeah it's polypropylene and we're supposed to be okay 
I don't like people putting plastic in their bodies. No, no. I, I yeah, you, you don't have to convince me, but the only thing yeah. is... is so what, what would you have to do in order to go to Long Island? Well, I would have to put it off for about another month, a month and a half, if he can even get me in that fast. Um, and, and the big issue with that is logistically it's very so, difficult. You know, you know, frequently there are cancellations. I did tell, yes, I told his staff yeah, so that you get a cancellation. I, so that's what I envision is, yeah, make that date when he can fit you in as soon as possible, but envision a cancellation much sooner. Okay. And be willing to go immediately if there's the cancellation. Because I have a sense that your desire will will bring that about. Again, we're in the midst of a COVID surge. People's plans are changing daily, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the problem with me is I'm a caretaker for my mom, so my sister has to I hear fly you. Do you, do you have, from Georgia. Do you have to pick her, you have to pick her up? He, no, she's going to drive. You know, she's going to get a ride from the airport. But the thing is, the uh, the logistics of working everything out on everybody's schedule, and so that you know that makes it hard. It does, but you're worth it. Mm. Again, if the mesh goes bad. You're going to have to do all of that anyhow and do it on an emergency basis. Right, right. Now, the also the, the surgeon who I talked to said potentially he thinks it would be too large to repair without mesh. So he said, look, you might go to that other guy. And he said, and I'm not telling you not to do that, but he said, you might go to the other guy and he might say, you know what, I can't even repair this without mesh because it's too, it's too large. Um, so... Um, I want to ask a few personal questions. Sure. Are you overweight? No, not at all. I'm a little underweight, actually. Then it's not going to be too large to repair. Okay. Are you in fair physical tone, good physical tone, awful physical tone? That's fairly good. That's what I would think, too. It's not going to be too large to repair. You take a person who's 40 pounds overweight and isn't in very good tone, a large hernia can be too big to repair that right. way. But you're, you're giving them goods. Mm-hmm. You may have heard me say that I told my surgeons, you're not working on a Ford, you're working on a Mercedes. <laughs> yes. Treat it like a Mercedes because I have. And that the lead surgeon came to me when I was in recovery and said, you're not a Mercedes, you're a Ferrari. <laughs> they can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. They can tell the difference when you've been eating well and giving your body the movement it needs. Right. You don't have to lump yourself in with with the people who are eating the standard American diet. That's not what you're doing. 
Right, no, and I know, and I do yoga and Pilates, and I, that that was one thing I was a little concerned about, the mesh being in there. I mean, would I feel Actually, that, you think, when I'm doing yoga or something like that? Yes, yeah. yes, and yeah. it can extrude. No, I know, I read a lot of studies, and uh, like I said, the only thing he said, well, that was the older mesh, so uh, he said mm. he hasn't had, you know, problems with it, but... Uh, I understand. I, I, I just personally think that you have taken very good care of yourself and that you don't need to settle for something that isn't as good as you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's more effort, but guess what? Eating well has been more effort too, hasn't it? Yes. Doing your yoga and Pilates has been more effort, hasn't it? Absolutely. So you know about making you know about making the extra effort. I understand that it would be easier for other people if you didn't. And I'm hoping to be the voice of you saying, "But do it for you." Mm-hmm. Well, all right. I guess I should, if yeah. I don't like the answer, I shouldn't have asked the question. It's just, uh, I mean, I sort of, you know. <laughs> right. And you could, you know, you can always say that was very good advice. I really hear that, and it's not going to work for me. Well, my, I have another friend who's a doctor, and she said to me, look, if you do get the mesh, don't have any doubts. Visualize that these are the best doctors in the world and it's going to work and you're not going to have any problems. She said, if you go into it mentally with doubt, there's actually been studies that show, you know, you have a a better outcome if you're positive, if you're visualizing. And so that's what, that's what she said to me. But, uh, uh, one, can I, can I ask you one quick thing? Absolutely. They said, let's say I were to go through with it next week. They said I have to stop taking all herbs and vitamins and everything else. I don't really take any vitamins, but a lot of these herbs have been real allies for me. I had uh, atrial fibrillation quite a few years ago. So let, I want to interrupt you just for a moment. Sure. When medical professionals pull this merd, what I suggest that you say is you look at them and you say, oh, do you mean that I should eat no garlic? Mm -hmm. Do you mean that I should not have any parsley? Are you suggesting that I should not have basil pesto? Now, those are herbs, aren't they? Sure. And they are powerful herbs. Yet no doctor would say to those questions, no, you can't have garlic or pesto or parsley, would they? No. So they're obviously not talking about herbs, are they? No, I know know exactly where you're going with this. What they're saying is don't take any pills. And you know what? Don't take any pills, ever. I got you. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. So they're too. right. Don't take any pills. Mm-hmm. You want to 
work with your tinctures, your vinegars, your infusions, your teas, your honeys. It's all good. Yeah, I thought, you know, I'm going to be under stress and my heart could potentially, you know, be affected by that. And you're going to tell me not to use my allies that I've been using for, you know, all these years. Uh, I mean, I want them there, you know, I want them with me. Um, Of course. Yeah. I I took both herbal tinctures and homeopathic remedies with me to Schulweiss, and they were right there on my bedside table for all to see. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to hide them. And a, another thing that you could say to any doctor who, who says that is, oh, and basing this suggestion on your experience? Right. Of course they not. will have to mm-hmm. say, no, it's not my experience. It's what I've been taught. Mm-hmm. And you can leave it at that, or you can say, well, I actually have quite a bit of experience. And I'm going to be using um, very safe food-like things that are, in fact, safer than garlic and parsley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I no doubt that. The, I don't. I don't think what you're would. telling me is you're taking lily of the valley or foxglove. Right. Right. No, it's mostly hawthorn and motherwort. Of course, of course, right? Yeah. Right, so you're taking apples and mint. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the third way that I suggest that this be approached, that you're taking hawthorn. Okay, hawthorn's in the rose family. The rose family is strawberry and apple and pear and peach. You say to the doctor, could I eat apples? If they say yes, then you're fine with hawthorn. Mother what's in the mint family. So mint, rosemary, lemon balm. You can say, could I drink a cup of mint tea or could I have some rosemary on my fish? And if they say yes, then you're fine with motherwort. Mm-hmm. So you I, ask I them about they... something they actually do know about, right? Yeah. Rather than the things they don't know about. Exactly. I suspect they're afraid of blood thinning qualities, as you said in the beginning when you mentioned garlic and other things. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to stop anyway. I mean, honestly. Anyway, but right. Just, the the yeah. only direct experience person that I've met is a surgeon. He's a very experienced herbalist, and he tells his patients to take their herbs right up until the time when they shouldn't be taking anything orally. Mm -hmm. He says there's no herb that he's found that causes blood thinning. Right. That makes sense, especially in tincture or even infusion format. I mean, it's so safe. The other thing is that in previous centuries, the term blood thinning meant something different. 
in the winter you were supposed to thicken your blood, and in the summer you were supposed to thin your blood. The thicker blood kept you warmer, and the thinner blood kept you cooler. It's not what we mean by blood thinner now, is it? No. So what they were talking about was where your capillaries were. The thicker blood meant your capillaries were pulled away from the surface of the skin, and the thinner blood meant there were more capillaries up toward the surface of the skin. Hmm. And this is kind of a normal physiological change that we our bodies do to cope with temperatures, right? Yes. So the herbs that help you do that were called blood thinners, but they, they, they don't affect your platelets. That's very interesting. In fact, one of the best blood thinners, real blood thinners that affects your platelets known is chocolate. And I've never yet met any doctor who said, don't eat chocolate before your surgery. So, yes, continue with your herbs. I think that's a very wise choice. Okay. Well. Right. And, and, you know, do it as a secret and don't tell them or flaunt it, whatever you choose. I think more and more of us are flaunting it. But I was talking to a midwife friend last night, and they were talking about how they were going along with all these really absurd things in the hospital. The woman had planned a home birth. The baby came five weeks early. They transferred, and they were doing these crazy things. And she and the midwife were just looking at each other and going, we're going to go along with their craziness because if we don't, they're going to take the baby away from me. Hmm. Wow. So there are times when you can flaunt it, and there are times when you just have to go along. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least pretend you're going along. They had they had a very hard time getting the baby to start breathing, and the midwife kept saying, give the baby to the mother, give the baby to the mother. And they kept having one excuse after the other, and finally she went over and picked up the baby and gave it to the mother, and as soon as the baby was in the mother's arms, it started breathing. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Susan. You are welcome. Whatever you choose, it's going to be the right choice, and it's going to work out. Thank you. I'll I'll let you know how it goes. Great. Clean blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And it looks like we have four callers with their hands raised. Our next caller is dialing in from the 510 area code. From the 510, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan Green. Hi, Susan Green. How are you? (laughs) Hi, my name is Hamida. I'm calling from Oakland, California. And I just want to say my friend recently told me all about how wonderful you are, and I've and I've started drinking infusions and feeling really powerful. Thank you so much for being such a, a wise elder. I'm so glad that I found you. I'm so glad you're drinking infusions and feeling wonderful. You deserve it. Thank you. I had a question. Um, I've recently been feeling, um, I think, perimenopausal. I've had some hot flashes, um, and my, my period has 
it kind of disappeared for a while. I want to interrupt you just for a moment. Were you ever uh, were you ever in peripuberty? What does that mean? There's no such thing as perimenopause. It was made up by a man to take the power out of menopause. You're menopausal. Claim it. Oh my God. Okay. I th- okay. Thank you for that. All right. Um, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really wanting to. Know I was the actually there when he made up the word because he was mad at me. Oh wow. He said, "Any woman who listens to you about menopause being power is going to ruin her life. Every woman needs to take hormones." He said, "I'm going to put a stop to you. I'm going to make up a word that will take all the power out of menopause. That will confuse women so much that they won't even think about power." Who is this wicked man? Doesn't really matter. What matters is that we don't use his word, perimenopause. I will never use that word again. Thank you, and stop others as well. It's menopause. Yes, of course you're in menopause. It's menopause. I wanted to ask you about this. I'm 45. I spoke to my mother. She told huh? me she was 50. She told me she was 55. It's and nothing to do with when your mother was in menopause. Oh, my God. Look, listen to nothing. me. I don't know what nothing, I'm nothing, nothing, about. nothing. How many children did your mother have? She had six. And you? I have no children. And you think your uterus and your menopause are going to be the same? No, of course they're not going to be. You're such a wise elder. I'm so glad that I'm speaking to you. I wanted to ask you, do you know if there's any um, uh, herbs uh, that I should maybe use specifically for this chapter in my life? I have a whole book about it. God, I need to get your book. New Menopausal Gears, The Wise Woman Way. Wow. Where can I find your book, please? You can go to my sales site, which is wisewomanbookshop.com, or Mm -hmm. any of the other usual places, like that place named after a big, strong woman, Amazon. (laughs) I got it. Okay, I will read your book. Do you have any other advice for me? Well, you say that you're drinking the nourishing herbal infusions. Yeah. And you have a scale, so you're weighing out an ounce of herb for each quart that you make. That's right. And you're rotating through stinging nettle and oat straw and comfrey leaf and linden and red clover. That's right. And each one of those has a a wonderful ability to help during menopause. Menopause changes how your adrenals use energy and stinging nettle strengthens and supports the adrenals. Menopause changes how your body relates to hormones and oat straw moderates and translates and helps that change. Mm. Menopause is a time of change in your body and that can cause inflammation and linden flower is one of the world's best anti-inflammatories. I think 10 to 20 times better than turmeric. Wow. Well, I feel so happy. Um, yeah, and comfrey? Comfrey yeah. makes everything move better and hold together better. Mm. So what is menopause? Is it the change 
Well, you know what? You want to change your clothes. It's not such a big deal now, is it? No. <laughs> All right. So maybe menopause is a transformation. Mm, so if you were going to transform yourself, you'd have to, like, what, cut your hair, dye your hair, change your style. Mm. But you could mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. No, right. menopause is not change and it's not transformation. Menopause is metamorphosis. It's large state change. And the primary place that we think about metamorphosis is a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Mm. So let's take a couple of cues from the caterpillar. Step number one, the caterpillar says, go away, everyone, I must be alone. Mm. You will feel it. In so much as you want to be alone, go with it. It's okay. Mm. The caterpillar, having sent everyone away, goes into its chrysalis. And there, it melts down. Mm. It turns into green slime or black goo or whatever that particular caterpillar butterfly thing is in between. But it's not a caterpillar and it's not a butterfly and it's a kind of hard place to be, which is one of the best reasons for being in your cave and sending everyone away, right? That's right. Right? I mean, black goo time, it's really, it's just hard. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so the caterpillar melts down, black goo, then it forms into a butterfly, and off we go. But an entomologist said, no, 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 absolutely not, Susan. The black goo becomes a butterfly, and then it says, I don't think that was quite right, and it becomes black goo again. No, you're putting me out. It says, it can do that three or four times before it finally decides that it's going to stay a butterfly. I'm like, oh. (laughs) 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 You know, I call it the second puberty. Puberty was the same way, right? Think about what what you were just really like all on about when you were 10. Mm. Was Was you the same person at 15? No. <laughs> I mean, like, from different universes, right? Oh, my God, yeah, different person, yeah, like, different lifetime. Same thing is happening at menopause. It's just a lot harder because now you think you know who you are. <laughs> wow. I am going to buy your book. I'm so grateful for you. Yes, down the road, you will look back and you will say, oh, I have such compassion for that woman who had to go through menopause. Mm. I hope you had a good experience. Like everybody else, it was, you know, the frumpy 50s, black slime, meltdown. And Mm. I said, you know, I said to Brooke Medicine Eagle at one point, I said, you know, we're out there telling all the women to go in their cave. I said, but we're not. We're on the road. She said, yep. (laughs) <laughs> Some of us pay no attention to what, to what you should really be doing. I said, it's really particularly difficult to be like black slime when you're in public. She said, yeah, well, just get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Susan, can I ask you, I, 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 um, do you think that um, your joints um, being achy and painy has anything to do with this chapter? I, I tend to work out regularly, and I really love Tai Chi and martial arts. 
and recently, I'd say in the last year or two, I have felt um, aches and pains in my joints. Do you think this might be part of this chapter? It might be. However, I do know that many people work out in the morning, and that's particularly vicious on your joints. Ah. For joint health, I suggest that you not work out until the afternoon. Okay. Okay, I'll try that. So if you are having some pain, push it back into the afternoon. Do you know the plant Hypericum perforatum, sometimes called St. John's wort or St. John's wort? Absolutely. Do you have access to the tincture of the fresh flowers of that plant? I do. I find that it relieves joint pain and muscle pain very quickly. Oh, okay. Thank you. I will try that. Give it a try. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you, and you're always in my prayers and meditations. I will buy your book. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. And at this time, we have four callers who have raised their hand with a question. Our next caller this evening is calling in from the 717 area code. From the 717, you are live with Susan. Thank you very much. Hi, Susan. My name's Carolyn. I'm from Pennsylvania. And I first, I just want to say thank you so much for your podcast. It's helped me to look at my relationship with plants and herbs. And I appreciate your wisdom and, and your positive energy that you share with all of us. So thank you very much. Thank my you. <laughs> my, um, a couple of days ago, I was walking down the stairs, and I had problems with my right Achilles heel, and sometimes it gives a little. Well, this time it really did, and I ended up falling two steps in flat on my face, and um, on my left leg, I broke I fractured like three toes, I think. And so um, I've been doing, I've been told to ice it and um, take aspirin. And what I've been doing is I've been doing comfrey. And my, and my question is sometimes when I, well, first of all, what you think. But when I use the comfrey and I'm using it warm, I find that it, it my, my, my feet will swell, but it feels better. And so, um, anyway, I just, any feedback that you can give me with helping that to heal, I would greatly appreciate it. What I like is to make comfrey infusion by weighing out an ounce of dried comfrey leaf, pouring a quart of boiling water over it, letting it steep overnight, and then drinking the resulting liquid. And the comfrey leaf, the wet comfrey leaf from the brew, <clears throat> I put on a old cotton kitchen towel and roll it up like a jelly roll, and I stick it in the freezer, not until it's solid and hard, but until it's cold. And then I use that poultice. Okay, great. So it can be cold. I was always, when I looked Absolutely. up on the internet, I think it can be cold. It's warm. 
And so that isn't No, there's no reason that it needs to be warm at all. You are okay. drinking the comfrey infusion too, right? Okay. Well, no, I'm not, but I will. <laughs> That's going to help. I'm about, you know, I've been doing meditation, positive affirmation, focus, so anything that will um Let me ask you this. Feelings. Let me ask you yeah. this. If it was raining and someone was standing out in the rain without an umbrella, how much good would meditation and positive affirmation do? If they like the rain, it would do wonders. Well, they wouldn't need positive affirmation and meditation if they like the rain, would they? Well, it would make it Because they would be in a situation which they liked. So what I'm saying is that while those are good support things, Mm -hmm. drinking the comfrey is going to heal the physical thing. Okay. I fell in Costa Rica, and we didn't know whether or not I had broken my wrist or sprained my wrist. And it would have taken me 11 hours to go to where the x-ray facility was and come back again, and I didn't want to do it. So I drank comfrey infusion between one and four cups a day, and I kept my wrist poulticed with comfrey. Sometimes I took some of the cold comfrey out of my cup and poured it into a basin and soaked my wrist in the cold comfrey infusion. Sometimes I took the comfrey cold leaves that I was talking about putting in the freezer and wrapped that around my wrist. Okay. Right? Sometimes we took a cloth and we soaked the cloth in the comfrey, in the cold comfrey infusion and wrapped that around my wrist. Whatever we could do. No, I could do that. Yeah. After about three months, I thought that I was probably at a point where I needed to stop babying my wrist and start really doing some pushing on it. But uh, I wanted some help with that, so I asked, went to a physical therapist, and she refused to work with me until I had an X-ray. Mm-hmm. So I went to, you know, a walk-in emergency place, and I said, I need an X-ray of my wrist in order to work with this physical therapist. And they said, well, why do you even need that? And I said, well, because I fell on my wrist three months ago, and I might have broken it. So they X-rayed my wrist, and he came back, and he said, well, you did break your wrist, but not three months ago. You broke it three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, why do you say that? He said, because of the bone remodeling. Okay. Believe me, I did not break my wrist three years ago. But what he said, what he was saying, and he didn't know if that's what he was saying, was drinking comfrey and poulticing with comfrey gives you as much bone mass in a month as you would normally get in a year. Okay, that's good. Thank you for yeah. that. So go for it. I will do that. All Thank righty. you very, very much. And Green you take blessings. care. Good night. Green blessings to you as well and your family. Happy holidays. Thank you. All right. And there are three callers with their hands raised. Our next caller is joining us from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. 
Hi, Susan. It's Carol Hi. from Nashville. Hi. Um, all right, I've got a lot of thoughts here, but I want to. I liked your comment on the mesh. Very good, because I always think about if you could put a piece of whatever it is you want to put in your body in a compost pile, what would it do? So my daughter has two hip replacements, and we we got the titanium versus the plastic or the ceramic or the metal, just based upon that thought. Like, what would this do in a compost pile? I like that thought. Thank you. Because these metal hip replacements, they're getting the the meat of our bones and our bodies and our you know our flesh are getting caught up in the ball bearings. If that makes sense. And then they create a grind, and then they're the these hip replacements. So the metal. But anyway, that was my thought. And I love the first book cover. I wondered what happened after that cover. I agree with you. I think it's fabulous. In fact, I'm kind of blown away because I wondered how that changed, you know, just through the years. Cause I, I think I talked to you a couple years ago. I told you I was at a book signing with you in D.C. when you put the first one out. And it was. Just that second cover was exactly like I liked it. So when you said that, I was like, who, who would? That's interesting. Now that I know, because I I have two copies of that original one. Yeah, uh, they said, you know, what's, that, this, what's this old woman doing on the cover? And I thought, oh, uh, cover could, of the menopause book. Can you I not? Yes, menopause book. Ah, you got it there. But I just, you know, it's like I just, you know, because I want you to read gray. this book. Right. Because so, nobody wants to think about themselves gray. Or I'll hate it for you. Well, you know what I say. They keep telling you to do this and do that so that you'll live longer, but they never admit that if you live longer, you'll get old. It it is a concept. I mean, you got to go there. (laughs) You know, I love the cover because by then, the reason women at that age bracket wear skirts is because, you know, why not? Men wear skirts, you know. I, I thought it was an amazing cover. Um, okay, so I wanted, I had to form a question. I'm going to Africa in April, and I'll call back in another time for that question. How, I just thought, hey, okay, let's talk about Ann Wigmore and Sprouts and alfalfa, because I know alfalfa as a nourishing herb. You have given me answers, but they were anecdotal. Uh, is it a nourishing herb that we can drink in an infusion or not? Very, very good question. Very good question. Alfalfa alfalfa was definitely up there when I was first um, thinking about um, what herbs for infusion. Alfalfa was definitely there, and it was used a lot. And as I got more into alfalfa, Several things came to my attention. But are these anecdotal answers? Is what I'm, I'm just trying to be a little combative on the issue, not to be uh-huh. uh, contradictory. Okay, so I'm just I want to 
I want to do a little bit of a change on it. What really made me pause was that alfalfa is possibly um, one of the most highly chemicalized crops. And it's chemicalized in a very interesting way. There's a lot of crops like corn and soy where things are sprayed on it, like Roundup. But the alfalfa seed is encapsulated in layers of fertilizer and fungicide and insecticide. So all seeds. But you're saying that... The alfalfa seed. No, not all seeds. Alfalfa seeds. So, I mean, are. is it a nourishing herbal infusion? I mean, we do, get, you know, people give it to their goats, their animals. It is like right You cannot give alfalfa to your goat because it will kill your goat. So the all the alfalfa friend who had this herd of goats got alfalfa hay for them and killed all twenty of her goats by giving them alfalfa hay. It's still an anecdotal answer. I mean, I've given my goat That is an anecdotal answer, great. but you're not asking me for a scientific answer. Okay. True. A yeah. scientific answer would be how much protein is in alfalfa. And what I'm saying is that... Too much. You can use alfalfa as a herb, and you can go to McDonald's and eat french fries. These things are within the realm of possibility. Okay, wait, back up. So you're you're comparing a French fry from McDonald's to a dried alfalfa plant. I am, yes. Okay, nice. Continue. Because of what's done to the seed, and the stuff that's on the seed is a, is what is killing the bees because it becomes part of the plant. It's not just sprayed on the plant. It actually literally becomes part of the cellular structure of the plant. So when the like bee the goes to the flower and gets the pollen, these things are in the pollen and the bee takes it back to the beehive and this is what's causing the mass die-offs. So uh, I, this was my no, decision you, on alfalfa. My decision I mean, on alfalfa was 25 years before we realized what these things were doing to the bees. But I, when I look into alfalfa, when I I recommend something to someone, I have to take a large view of it. Where are they likely to get it, and how is it likely to be contaminated or disturbed or distorted? So when I'm recommending herbs, these are questions that are in my mind. You go out and buy linden, it's almost impossible. Right, yeah, true. That's, that's a good thing. There's something good bad to the that's linden. Right. right. And you're going down to its lowest common denominator, which you were talking to that fellow about. Which I've been talking like, about. Okay, so that you I can't eat apples. That you're safe. I'm not saying can't or can I'm saying there's some serious issues with alfalfa, and red clover is better. And so where would I go to get this kind of information from the alfalfa? Like, where do you have some study? I'm, I'm just you could you know, re- you coming could in there. Go, it's a little strong for you. you any, ugly. Anyone who sells farm seed and ask about alfalfa seed. That's what okay. I did. All right. Right. 
you could also go, there's an organization called ACRES, A-C-R-E-S, which is for organic farming, not organic gardening, but organic farming. And they have a lot of How would you dirt. spell that word farming? Farming, F-A-R-M-I-N-G, farming, organic uh, acres farm. farming. Acres is the name of the organization, A-C-R-E-S, Acres. And they are for organic farmers, not gardeners. Done. It's a different thing. Understood. Generally, when you're a farmer, you're like covering a lot of territory, usually using a tractor. Stuff like that. You know, gardeners can go out there and hand pick their insects if they need to, but farmers are not doing that. So Acres has... Good resources where you can go and find out what's being done commercially. To the seeds. To the alfalfa seeds. To other things, you know, like you can find out, you know, like what this particular crop, how is what is happening out there in the real world? To this particular crop, what kinds of well, where things? Well, where does alfalfa grow naturally? You know, for if for instance, I was able to find out that the organic fungicide is copper sulfate, which bioaccumulates in the soil and the water, and within 25 years of using it, you basically can't grow anything there anymore. But it's organic, and the non-organic fungicide biodegrades in 24 to 36 hours. So, you, should, you know, you can go crop by crop and find out what's being used. When it's being used, you can find out exactly which things are being sprayed on organic produce after they've been harvested because it's only organically grown. Once it's been harvested, they can spray anything they want on it. Okay. Right? And so, Acres is a good, good starting place for these things. And I also, whenever I'm anywhere, you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, video series that Justine and I made called Treasures of the Tropics, but we went to coffee farms and we and organic coffee farms, and we went to um, sugarcane plantations and pineapple plantations, and we spent time there learning what they're doing. So, for instance, at the pineapple plantation, and they were talking about there are, in Costa Rica, chemicals are green, yellow, orange, or red. And that they use only green chemicals on their pineapple plantation. But that other pineapple plantations use orange and red chemicals. And I said, well, how do I be sure that I get your pineapples that you've used the green chemicals on? And they said, you can't, because there's only one pineapple-like wholesaler, and so all the pineapples get mixed up together. He said, now, if if it's organic, there's a chance that it's organic. But farmer after farmer in Costa Rica told, laughed in my face about organic. 
and said, yeah, yeah, the people who are saying that they're organic are just the people who have the money to buy the license and to pay off the people who come once a year. Sounds hopeless. Well, it's certainly not, you know, it's very different from place to place. Like in in Europe, to get organic certification, um, it, you have to jump through a lot more hoops than you do in the U.S. I'm always, so interested, in my, I'm always interested in my food and, and where it's coming from and how it's being produced and what people are doing. And so I'm always looking wherever I am to talk to directly to the people who are doing it. What's their experience? Well, you yeah, know, but what, the, realist, the reality of that, everybody living in suburbial America or whatever, you know, uh, it takes time for that. But what, yeah, so fortunately, fortunately you I've had, you know, the grace, the grace to be able to go to a lot of different places. Right in, right in New Zealand, where I had a farmer tell me he had an organic farm except for the places where he used Agent Orange. <laughs> you know, you start, you start to get a sense of what's really going on out in the world, and it's a little different from the cozy picture I might paint in my mind. <laughs> so, and I think yeah. that's where our blessings before our food comes. You know, right. oh heavenly whoever, please make right. this wrong. Amen. Right. right? Right. But let's so see the with red, with, red, with red clover, what we're using is the blossoms of the red clover. And that one of the reasons that I urge people to get the blossoms and not what's called herb, which is mostly leaf, is that the leaf of the red clover um, is more beany. It's just much more difficult for people to deal with. It's got protein constituents. True, right. But when a cow really goes and eats a lot of that, does our body. Cow, and alfalfa, is cow I'm sorry. And alfalfa is the leaf. So it's one of the reasons that I chose red clover. I said, oh, the flower, that is going to be ever so much better for us than the alfalfa leaf because the leaves of these things, you generally don't go out and eat your green bean leaves. hear you. Uh, sounds- right. So So now when the cow goes and, and eats the fodder of these, are they eating just the blossoms? They probably are. Just you're not a cow. Part of the plant. You're not a cow. No, what I'm a cow does have nothing these, to do with you. These are the foods that are being used Earth, for fodder. Can go out and eat poisonous mushrooms. Don't follow in their footsteps. A cow is a what I'm saying. I'm saying that the things that cows eat you would kill you. True. You can't uh, eat what a cow eats. Because they're rumens and deer and rumens alike. Because they have a very different so, way of Let's talk about the alfalfa sprouts and the evolution there is of There's a lawyer who specializes in defending people who've gotten food poisoning. And he says that he would rather eat raw fish from an uncertain source than ever, ever, ever eat an alfalfa sprout. And who's this? He says that the worst cases of food poisoning are always from alfalfa sprouts and usually the ones that leave people injured for life. I do not remember his name, but I'm sure you can find him. Lawyer who deals 
specifically with food poisoning. Ah. Wow, you know? I'm liking it. In general, I do not think that sprouts are a good idea. Uh, If you want some science on it, the nutritional value of sprouts is about as low as you can get. And and Anne Wigmore? Anne Wigmore was led astray by some boys. By what? By some boys. Anne Wigmore was a very... Was a boys, B-O-Y-S, boys, as in young men. Okay, heard. What? Gotcha. Anne, Anne was a sickly child, and she crawled out on the lawn of where she lived and started eating and the plants in the lawn and healed herself. Whoa. That's what she said. Now, do you suppose she was eating sprouts? No, she I, I think she was probably She was eating dandelion, right? She was eating dandelion and plantain. She was eating yellow dog and Alice. She was eating the weeds, right? So mm. she wanted to tell people, eat the weeds. And these boys, and of course they were young men, said to her, you can't do that, Anne. What if they get the wrong one? That's very bad. What you have a dog peed on it. <laughs> right, or a dog, right. You should tell them to eat sprouts. Right. It's controllable. For real? Is that real? That's the story? This is what Anne told me. And she so, got in touch with she, me. I mean, she, she and I became friends. It was a short-lived friendship. Not because we didn't like each other or get along. We got along really, really well because she wanted, she said, I feel so badly at all the people who think I'm in distress. That's just awful. She said, and I want to tell them about weeds and you do weeds. Let's help me do this. And within six months of meeting her, she died in a fire in Boston. Yes, she did. But I'm saying that the people that were influencing her were also influencing her writings? Yes. Well, that's... that's they that's, told that's her that if because she I don't, told... I don't see any of Juliet and Parkley Levy's writings being altered in that sense. Like, you know, her uh, Farm and Stable book seem incredibly right on spot, Juliet, versus the Anne Wigmore. There's, there's some ambiguity... Because of her stick to just the sprouts and that raw thing, it limited her her space. Exactly. And once you put something out and you have kind of an empire and people are giving you money, uh, then you can't just like, uh, then you can't. It's hard to retract. And then she then she dies. Well, I mean, she you can't deny her tremendous influence. Are is her ability to influence the, the need and nature of sprouts, which is still continuous today. However, you do see stores that stop selling these sprouts because of situations you were previously talking about. Correct. But just sprouts are a different genre than, than the full plant. 
I'm going to do some more research on this alfalfa. I'm, I'm intrigued, and I appreciate the dialogue, be it as uncomfortable. But I know you dig uncomfortable, so I'm down. So I brought it up. Absolutely. It's good. Thank you, Susan. Let's see if I can answer those last couple of questions of those last people. Thanks for your call. Green good blessings. Night. Your green good blessings. Night. Good night. All right. Our next caller is coming in from 347. <laughs> From the three four seven. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, hawthorn because I have uh, encountered several trees near where I live, and. Um, I'm pretty sure they are hawthorns, um, even though I haven't seen the leaves. There are only clusters of red fruits left. Um, I tasted some of them. They are very sour and astringent, and I'm thinking of collecting them for uh, making medicine. Um, so I just And you wonder... say it's a tree. Yeah, it is a tree. There are a few trees, um, but there are no thorns on the trees. So I'm just wondering if I... Are there thorns um, on the trees? The thorns on what? I'm sorry. I took a sip of infusion and went down the wrong way. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. This tree that you're looking at, how big is the trunk? Um, it's it's like a apple tree. It's not very it's not big, hawthorn. But... It's not hawthorn. Okay. Hawthorn okay. does not get that big. Hawthorn trees are <coughs> small. <coughs> They're very very small. You would hardly call it a tree. Oh, okay. So, okay, so these are not... I have not, seen, like, I have not seen a hawthorn trunk bigger than somebody's arm. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, okay, right. okay now, the tree you're looking at, does it have thorns? No, they don't. <laughs> it's be hawthorn. Okay. It has the name, yeah, that's thorn. That's what I was also wondering. Um because you, I think you said something about hawthorns, like uh, smaller apples, and that's how I, you know, thought that these might be it, um, because they are, and they tasted like apples as well. It might be crab apples. Oh, okay. All right. Understood. All right. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. I see Dr. Brown is here with us. There is one caller still with a question. Um, do you want to go to well, Dr. Brown? Well, let's go right to Dr. Susan Brown, the best-selling author of The Acid Alkaline Food Guide, translated into seven languages, and Better Bones, Better Body. Dr. Susan Brown, Ph.D., is also a noted researcher inspirational speaker and founder of the Center for Better Bones and Alkaline for Life. In her decades of experience, she has authored more than a thousand articles and produced hundreds of videos on pH, the alkaline diet, and natural bone health. 
In fact, Dr. Brown pioneered the natural approach to bone health over 30 years ago. She was the first to prove that using only natural methods, nearly every woman can build strong bones for life. Welcome to the show, and welcome back, gosh. I was thinking it's been 20 or 25 years since we've even spoken. It's been a while, Susan, and it's so great to see that you continue to answer all these questions and help people understand about herbs and and the natural healing processes. So, no, it's great to be back with you. Yeah, it was a while ago that we spoke. It was. And, you know, Dr. Brown, everything that you taught me about healthy bones has definitely turned into super healthy bones for me. I was in okay. a situation I was in a situation where my pelvis was x-rayed and mm-hmm. I was actually able to see the x-ray and my femurs looked like a child had taken a white crayon and colored them in. They were so massive and dense. Nice. And the person reading the x-ray said, "You know, we don't see bone mass like this in women half your age." <laughs> Well, yeah, well, many people haven't lived such an active life as you do. Plus, talk about an alkaline diet with all those herbs and vegetables and plants that you eat. So, yeah, that you're a good model. You're a good model for all of well, us, for uh, sure. Tell us, what, tell us what the alkaline diet is. What do you mean when you say alkaline diet? Well, what, what we're interested in is setting the ideal chemistry, the ideal biochemical terrain for bone to be most successfully grown. And what happens is, as you know, Susan, the body has to maintain a very specific pH, a very narrow range of pH, like the blood has to be 7.35 to 7.45, or you simply perish. And equally, the extracellular fluids have to be a precise level of pH. And as it turns out, we've always said, well, nature takes care of that. If you get to acid, you die. But now we know small changes in acid can, acid can accumulate in the body, even though the body is always excreting acids. When we breathe out carbon dioxide, that's carbonic acid. Our kidneys are excreting a lot of acids. We have lots of mechanisms to control acid. What happens is, Susan, a step back, is that the body produces a lot of acid every day through metabolism, through digestion of food, through our basic activities, but the body has many ways to buffer those acids. So usually you say, well, the acids won't collect. Now we know that acids can collect, and they can do a great deal of damage, even though they don't collect enough to be life-threatening, but they collect enough to make the cells not function so well. For example, if you have even a slight acidic tilt, you won't produce proteins as well. The ATP energy production is decreased, and essentially... Our response, our bone is quickly broken down with a slight acidic tilt, and the bone formation activity stops. So it's a subtle changes in pH that are influenced by diet. And the alkaline diet is a diet high in fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, and spices that leaves you with uh, enough buffering compounds to reduce any excess acid in the body. There you go. That's the story. Sounds like the Mediterranean diet. Yes. The Mediterranean diet is a very good example of this, but you see the, the and, and many plant-based diets. A, a plant-based diet that maybe has adequate protein, you know, you have to have enough protein for bone in particular. Bone, needs, bone is half protein by volume. So some vegetarians and vegans in particular suffer because they don't have enough protein. But 
yes, the Mediterranean diet, but the difference is we focus on pH and we can actually measure it. You can actually measure, you can get an idea of what your pH is through a simple measurement of first morning urine. So a person can see, do I have enough buffering compounds? And the, the clinical pearl to all this is if you, if you can't buffer the acids you have, if your first morning urine is acidic, and I'll tell you in a minute what numbers we look for, then you know that you do not have enough minerals because the alkalizing compounds are attached to minerals. So it's really all about providing the body with adequate minerals and being able to verify that you have given the body enough minerals. So yes, it's it is. It's really all about minerals. <laughs> well, is it really all about minerals? No, I said yes, I agree. It is all about minerals. And the other thing you would agree with, though, is that these phytocompounds, you know, we tend to think, well, of vitamins and minerals in plants, but of course plants have an amazing amount of these intelligent compounds that are not only antioxidants but signal, tell the body, tell the cells how to behave, how to interact. So uh, these alkaline diets high in all these vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds will have all that, all that organizing intelligence of the phytocompounds. We just like to focus on pH because it's amazing all the cellular changes that are affected by just a slight accumulation of pH. Now, a person might notice, they might say, I got acid stomach, I feel acid. I've got gout, which is severe acidity. I got pain in my joints, which is often acid collecting in the joints. So we, we know symptoms of it, and many people say, I feel kind of toxic, I feel kind of acid. Um, and acid is agitating, it's, uh, it's, as, it's not calming and relaxing. So a lot of people will notice right away when they change their diet. And, of course, you've been encouraging what what we would call an alkaline. You've been encouraging a very whole foods, plant-based diet for a long time and have seen so many benefits with individuals over the years. And I think that nettle is an incredible alkalinizer. Yes, and, you know, we, that's what we spoke about a few years back, your, your famous nettle teas, and I've, I certainly recommend it to many people. As you mentioned, it's a great source of calcium nutrients, and it alkalizes. It's, a, it's one of those great healing herbs that's in practically everybody's backyard, and that is, I've directed many people to use your strong green, what do you call it, the green goddess there. Green that goddess, is, yeah. Yep, that's a very good, that's a great alkalizer, right? You make a nice strong drink of that. That's exactly right. And that will help to get the pH. And so what people do, if, they're, if anyone's re- listening and say, hey, I wonder if I have enough minerals. I wonder if my, if my diet is providing uh, enough of these mineral compounds to buffer acids. Then they just look at the first morning urine. You just, you, you, if you can sleep six hours, all the better. But if not, just when you get up, you measure your pH. You want a particular pH paper that's kind of got fine gradients, like one-third points. And um and here at, the, here at Alkaline for Life, we've actually produced a, a little pH test kit that people can actually have some instructions on the alkaline diet and how to test their pH. But it's a wonderful, simple way to help people estimate exactly if they're giving the cells everything they need to function in the most effective way. So let's suppose that someone has a test strip for mm-hmm. pH, and right. it's a subtle one. As you say, the, it goes in three-tenths. 
gradations, mm-hmm. and they find that um, it's the wrong reading. What, what is the right reading? Well, and what, okay. do they, what do they do if it's the wrong reading? <laughs> well, sure, sure, sure. So, with you know, it would be great if we could just measure people's blood, but you can't do that because even, it, it, even if you could draw the blood, it changes really quickly. So you, even if your doctor does a blood test for pH, it's not going to be accurate because it's only stable for a little bit. So the first morning urine is an approximate measurement. You just simply let the paper read it. And what we're looking for is a 6.5 to 7.5 pH. And that would suggest that there are enough buffering mineral compounds. Most people, you know, but your audience, it would be interesting because you have people who are very interested in plant and probably do a largely plant-based diet. But sometimes you can do that but still not have enough minerals. So you're looking for 6.5 to 7.5. The average person, if you test their first morning year, it'll be like 5. And interestingly, you can't excrete too much below 5. You can't excrete 4.5 too much because it'll burn the kidneys. So the body, the acid of the urine. So the body will always be buffering. The issue for bone is you take buffering compounds, which are attached to minerals, out of bone to buffer the acid. So that's where bone loss comes in. So you want to get that 6.5 to 7.5. If you don't have it, well, the first thing you do, you increase, we always say get at least two cups of vegetables and two cups for dinner. You increase the potassium foods. You know, the RDA for potassium is 4,700. That would be 13 servings of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. And even if that's only a half cup serving, that's still a lot. But the real key to pH is magnesium. Magnesium is what decides the intercellular pH. And so we would give a series of bone-building nutrients, but we would focus on magnesium. Magnesium, ah, magnesium burns so brightly, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it does burn brightly, and it is an amazing underestimated nutrient, very related to the maintenance of health, essential for the maintenance of health. And uh, people are saying the magnesium is going to be the new vitamin D because there's a growing awareness about it. Magnesium sets the intercellular pH and so many other, 600 enzymes in the body depend on magnesium, and yet half of the population is magnesium deficient. And so it's lost in food processing. Anyway, it's lost in food processing. We don't eat. You know, you know, Susan, you probably saw this. The New York State statistics, one out of three people don't even get one fruit or one vegetable a day in this state. There's no way you're going to get the magnesium, the potassium, the zinc, all these minerals you need if you if, if we eat like that. So at the center for and again Bible, again this is why drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day yeah. creates such enormous health because you get not just one form of magnesium but dozens of forms of magnesium. Yes, yes, you know, and, and you get all those phyto compounds with all that really all that intelligence from those plants, those signaling uh, information chains. So it would be really fun with your audience. Uh, you know, like I said, they might they can get themselves a pH paper that goes in fine gradients, one-third, or at betterbones.com and Alkaline for Life. We have, we have two sites. One is betterbones.com and one is Alkaline for Life. We have these kits people can buy if they want to know more about the alkaline diet and to have the pH testing. So it would be interesting to see if your your audience, you know, that's a perfect test if they say, 
I want strong bones. I think I'm doing everything right then, but I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to go get fancy blood tests. I want to just see what's going on. And that's a perfect thing. I would be very interested to see how many of your people alkalize just without using too many supplements. Uh, okay, everybody, you're hearing Dr. Susan Brown next week or in the weeks after you're going to call in and say this is what yeah. my pH for my first morning urine was and we're going to have a little um, survey here and see what we get. We're looking for 6.5 to 7.5. If you say it's too low, add more of those green, uh, the nettles and green drinks and maybe throw in some uh, of this magnesium. Now, you always want an alkalizing mineral, like you want a magnesium citrate or magnesium glycinate or magnesium ascorbate. The other thing that really alkalizes is a very special form of vitamin C called ascorbate. That's the form of vitamin C the body uses. It's attached to minerals. And so it helps to mineralize and it helps to buffer acids. Actually, one of our favorite nutrients is a very special buffered ascorbate that is packed under nitrogen, so it's extremely pure. You know, ascorbate's an electron donor. It energizes the whole body. And uh, I bet that some of those plants are electron donors, too. Anything that's a strong antioxidant uh, can really help to donate electrons. We've got a great challenge going, Susan. We'll see. Just the people who say, look, I think I'm doing great, you know, or people that are curious, wonder if I'm getting enough minerals. That's a real simple test. And and if someone is questioning... I mean, I mean, I I really put the nourishing herbal infusions to the test. I went through a really extraordinary situation in which I was in surgery for 17 hours and then in an induced coma for 13 hours Mm. and barely walk when I got out of the hospital, and they turned me out of the hospital at 119 pounds. Wow. And over the next six months, I was able to gain 30 pounds of muscle. Huh. Hey, that's amazing. Do you have that? Can you share that recipe of those infusions? That's it, nourishing herbal infusions and but as I mean, much protein-rich food as I wanted. Uh-huh. And the herbs I, you know, are like... Absolute, you know, a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day. <clears throat> they are the, um, and you're talking about, and I really want to draw the listener's attention to what you're saying. It's not just magnesium. You don't go out and buy magnesium or calcium. You have to get a salt. You have to get a form of the mineral. <clears throat> and some of those are alkalinizing, and some of them are actually acidifying. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Right. So you can't just say, oh, calcium or magnesium and just blithely go out and get it because you might be doing the opposite of what you think you're doing. Yes, and that's why we call our website Alkaline for Life because all our products are meant to alkalize. So they're the forms of the minerals that alkalize. Um, Right. Like I say, the citrates, the ascorbates, the lysinates. So that, yeah, that's the – so tell me a little bit, what what are the herbs in your infusion? What what outside of nettles did you put in that tonic? Well, I only use one herb at a time. Okay, use one. So on Sunday, I might drink nettle infusion, and I use a full ounce of dried nettle to a quart of boiling water. A nettle tea has about 5 milligrams of calcium per cup, and a nettle infusion has about 250 milligrams of calcium per cup. Okay. And other herbs you have on other days? If you're drinking a quart of nettle infusion on Sunday... You're getting about 1,000 milligrams of calcium plus magnesium, manganese, phosphorus, potassium, minerals, you name it. Nettle has them. 
Mm-hmm. Then the next day, I would brew oat straw. Uh-huh. Okay. And of course, we know about people who are feeling their oats and people who are sowing their oats. <laughs> okay. Oat straw is indeed the herb of, well, as one woman put it, she said, you know, I got to menopause and my libido <clears throat> went south for the winter and never came home. Uh-huh. And then down there turned to, into into a desert with, with uh, you know, sand dunes and camels. She said, I started drinking oat straw and soon my libido came home with company. Mm-hmm. And down there was an oasis with date palms and dancing girls. Ah, okay. So that's oat straw for you. Mm-hmm. I love linden. So okay. the next day I might have a linden infusion. Linden, I think, is the world's greatest anti-inflammatory. I would say that it's 10 to 20 times better than turmeric. Huh, isn't that interesting? Now, I did not know that. I'm going to try that out. Right. Turmeric, uh, let's face it, really is not a very good anti-inflammatory unless it's used as it's used in India where it's first cooked in ghee and then boiled with a grain or a bean for an hour. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It has to be. It has to be be processed in that way to really be effective, and most people are not taking it that way, whereas linden works even as a tea, better as an infusion. I've seen it have have C-reactive protein within weeks. I know something. Yeah, okay. Now, that's an anti-inflammatory for you, right? We can get those kinds of lab results. I love comfrey leaf infusion. In fact, I want to have, I'm I'm planning to have next April a comfrey conference. I'm starting to get people lined up to speak at the comfrey conference. It'll be an online event. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, that comfrey great knit bone is the herb of the bones. And if you want not just strong bones, but one of the things you turned me on to, flexible bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But comfrey got a bit Humphrey is the herb for that. But Susan, is it <clears> see, you to... told me, you told me, Susan, it doesn't matter how porous your bone is, is so long as it's flexible. Yes, exactly. It can be very strong, but not be particularly dense. But Susan, comfrey got kind of a bad rep for a while. Is some health concern with it? What's the? I remember. This is why I'm having a comfrey conference because these are just <clears throat> vicious rumors. Okay. Let I, me I, put it let me put it to you this way. I'm drinking a rotation of five nourishing herbs. That means mm-hmm. every month I'm having six quarts of comfrey leaf infusion. Mm-hmm. Over the year, that's seventy two quarts <laughs> of comfrey leaf. I've been doing this for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. My liver is doing great. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. because of the extraordinary situation I was in, believe me, they were looking at my liver. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. My sweetheart drinks even more comfrey than I do. He really likes it. And he's under the care of a cardiologist. As a matter of fact, he's the um, oldest male member of his family. The records go back for about 500 years. And no man in his family has lived past the age of 55. He's 76 now. Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. And and that's partly due to modern medicine and herbs. But he does take Mm -hmm. drugs. 
And so they mm-hmm. monitor his liver, and he's drinking more comfrey than I am, and they keep telling him his liver is functioning at lower than his his calendar age. Hey, Susan, you know, that's amazing. i got to ask you this question. With bone health, we're very interested in kidney health because kidneys sort of control the bone. Like, what, what if you see a person getting a little, you know, the GFR gets a little bit below 60, what, what, what do you like for the kidney? Are these some of these tonics that help some infusions? The nettle, stinging nettle infusion, but, again, the rotation of the five of them, okay. and the one okay. I didn't mention was red clover, um, okay. does a lot because it provides um, a lot of different kinds of organizing intelligence. I love that term. That's really wonderful. But I just got a call, I think it was last week, um, from someone who said her sister was diagnosed as bipolar Mm -hmm. as a teenager. She took lithium until her kidneys couldn't take it anymore. Right, right. She's now in her 30s, and they were talking about dialysis and maybe kidney replacement. And she called the woman who called me and said, sis, what can I do? And she said, drink nettle infusion. And she calls her back two months later and says, my doctor says that I have the healthiest kidneys he's ever seen. <laughs> that's awesome. No more talk well, of dialysis. Yeah. And that's fast. Yeah. And this is, this is not an isolated incident. I have had a lot of people very much a similar story. They were slated for replacement. They were looking at dialysis, stinging metal infusion, and they have brand new kidneys. The well, kidneys, okay. after all, are replaced every six weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it that quick, you think, that the kidney cells are replaced? Oh, yeah. Liver turnover is 30 days. Kidney turnover mm-hmm. is 40 days. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to get them healthy. You know, Susan, so we'll have a little challenge here. Um, some of your people may work on the pH and let us know. And I'm going to have some of my people work on the kidney. And I, should, I right here I have, I have a whole bunch of uh, most of these herbs you mentioned because you know I, I studied with John Christopher years ago and I'm so fascinated with right. herbs. What's really yeah. important is yeah. weighing out the dried herbs. You use one ounce by weight. Okay. And one quart of boiling water, and it steeps for at least four hours. Okay. This is not a tea. I remember, yeah, it gets nice and so four hours is when you leave it. Okay. I usually leave it overnight, but it has to be a minimum of four hours. Okay. Great. Well, we're gonna, yeah, I think because we're always... Yeah, this is going to be... what a, We are always so cross-fertile, you know? Yes, yes, yes. And you remember something and then you don't pay attention. Like, we're very deep into nutrients, really, because uh, our crowd is very much into deficit. They have serious bone health concerns. But obviously you have a great story of building uh, your bone, uh, rebuilding it again, your bone and your whole body, with a, with this strong plant base. So, yeah, that's just really fun. I'm so glad to hear of it. Yeah, and, and many, many people, I would say hundreds of thousands of people at this point. Yeah. What's, what's really wonderful is how quickly it happens. I even had a woman who refused to exercise. She said, no, I'm mm-hmm. a couch potato. And she went from severe osteoporosis to superb bone mass in two years of drinking four quarts of nourishing herbal infusion a week and not moving at all. Ah! Now that, that, that. I was stunned. That's amazing. Isn't it? I'm like, uh, 
gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely amazing. Because well, both you and I know that the body wants to move. That's that's part of that. What to me, it's like the the minerals form crystalline structures for us, and yeah. they know how to do that when we move. Yes, you have. The body is really meant to move exactly, and there's a lot of negative. And just working against the force of gravity is such a powerful thing. That's that it's hard to imagine without moving someone could build bone, but hey, uh, I'm glad to hear the story. Yeah. So let's see. You you say that alkaline water doesn't alkalinize. Well, here's what happens. Is that because when we take in alkaline, we produce acid to neutralize it? No, no. It's that there's a lot of commercialization of this concept of alkaline water. If you change the pH of the water, like you put baking soda in the water or something, you can change the pH, but that's not going to add minerals to the body. To alkalize, you <laughs> got it. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous to say take a water of 8 pH. At first, an 8 pH is going to decrease your hydrochloric acid. You're not going to digest food as well. I mean, it's a silly thing. Now, if you talk about European mineral water from the Alps, that stuff has been thousands of years coming down those mountains, very high in carbonates, total dissolved solids, magnesium. That's that's a wonderful water. And that's right, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, again, minerals, minerals. And just in case you didn't hear us, minerals. Yes, yes. Tell yes. them again where they can find you. Okay. Our work is on a couple of sites, betterbones.com is the site where I've worked for 30 years teaching people about bone health. And I want to say, Susan, we have a, for people who have a serious bone health problem and they want to learn our program, which is really a very comprehensive natural program to rebuild bone, we're giving these retreats every few months, a four-day retreats online, so that anybody in the world who wants to know how to manage their bone from, from with a nutrition point of view and exercise and stress reduction, they can learn it from us. You know, I, I tell people, and I think you'd probably agree, if people do not take charge, they're going to end up taking drugs. Because the way it's set up now, they're saying half the women have a bone density that qualifies them for drugs, and there's a big push to get women to take drugs. And so you have to become educated. You have to know what's going on. You have to know how to determine, or at least the questions you need to ask to determine if you have a real serious fracture risk and then what to do about it. So the retreat's a great way. You can find out on betterbones.com about these educational four-day mega events. And then Alkaline for Life, we have, that's where we sell our various products, and we have many articles on alkalizing on alkalineforlife.com. And we have our little pH test kit. And uh, we'd love to hear from your people about how they do with their first morning urines. Uh, if they're taking a quart of uh, these uh, elixirs, probably that, I'd be very interested and in see if that's, that's probably enough to alkalize. I would, I would think so, too. Wow. Dr. Susan Brown, Better Bones, yes. Thank you so much for being in my life, even though so much time has passed between us. And we've yes. come to the end of our time together. It's so short. I always get so much from being with you. Thank you. I want to ask you what you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening tonight. Well, just like you, I would say that Nature is a great healer, and if and we, no, it's never too late, and it's never too early to begin taking 
better care of our health. Our focus is really looking at the biochemical markers at the diet, at strong supplementation if it's needed. So, but take take I say take heart and take action. No matter what your path, there's always ways you can grab the bull by the horn and improve your situation. Take heart and take action. Thank you. Take heart and take action. Thank, Thank you for helping all of us to be healthier, to feel abundantly well. Thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And hey, Sarah Ellen, herbal medicine, people's medicine, thanks for your support. Well, thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.